time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Christy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is a special 101 episode where we talk about everything predators. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day and we kiss them too. Don't forget, we brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Pacific Rim. That sounds yummy. So are we ready to sip some coffee and chat? Yes. Okay. So we are here today for a special 101, all about predators. And we do have a special guest with us. Dr. Rebecca is back with us at the table. Welcome. How are you doing, Dr. Rebecca? I'm doing great. Thank you, ladies, so much for having me back. This is a really important topic and one that we see all the time in the office. So I'm glad that we're having a one-on-one about it and hopefully preventing the amount of chickens we see coming through for predator attacks. Definitely. Are predator attacks the primary reason that chickens come into you? I would say they are, especially this time of year, I feel like we see them pretty frequently. When I started seeing chickens, I feel like that's all I was seeing was predator attacks until I kind of like got into the groove of treating other issues. I'd say reproductive disease is probably still number one, especially year round. But I would say predators make up probably the next tier down of what we see come in. We were talking about that before in another 101 that we did with you about reproductive disorders and how they're neck and neck on coming in with popularity. We would understand that in the springtime, predator attacks would maybe take that top spot because predators are pretty active in the spring. They're feeding babies this time of year. So I think the threat doubles and triples. We just had a mama fox give birth to five kits underneath our sheep shed. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they have moved on because we were out there so much. And I think it was just the mother fox didn't like us around that much. But, you know, we would come out in the morning and she and the babies would be sitting there staring at the Nankin coop. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Never fun. But that's scary. (laughs) It's very scary. Yeah. This time of year, too, I feel like people are going to be probably free ranging their chickens more and just in general, getting them outside more. So it's kind of a perfect storm there. Yeah. Two years ago, COVID happened, and basically we had the same thing, a mom and eight kids next to us under our neighbor's shed, and we got them out of that shed, and then she moved them under our barn. They would come out directly next to the run and look at the chickens, (laughs) and I'm like, this is not good. We watched her go morning and night, catch squirrels and bunnies and bring them back and feed them, so we knew that there was a food source out there other than the chickens. And finally, she did move them away. So if you're active enough in that area, you can definitely get them to move away. Let's start by listing some top predators that can go after our chickens and cause some issues. Yeah, I also just wanted to add, I think this is probably counterintuitive, but like I live in a pretty rural area. We actually have 10 acres like up in Pennsylvania. And I think a lot of people probably think in those areas, you're going to see predator attacks more. But like you were saying about like having a food source, I actually think we're more likely to see predator attacks in more of the suburban areas because they don't have other stuff to eat. So, I mean, we know we have foxes around, but I, I mean, knock on wood, have never had an issue Partially because of my setup, but also I think because there's other stuff around that they can eat and it's easier for them to get to than breaking into a coop. Whereas I think 
in a more suburban area, there's not as much prey. So they're going to go right for the chicken coops and stuff like that. What also helped us is our neighbors were feeding the mom fox. In fact, one day we drove into our neighborhood and followed her. We thought she had a bird. In fact, she had a hot dog in a hot dog bun in her (laughs) mouth, (laughs) running to her kids, which were in our yard. And then she just dumps it for them and they're eating the hot dog in the bun. And I'm like, hey, this is great. They're getting full in this stuff. So the chickens are kind of like, not. Yeah, so they don't need to even consider that they're (laughs) being fed. Okay, so let's go ahead and list what somebody might come into contact with that could be a potential problem for chicken keepers. So the fox is obvious. Right here in the Mid-Atlantic, we have a lot of trouble with raccoons. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so raccoons are a little different than other predators and get that they do actually have opposable thumbs. So not only are they good at reaching through open fencing and grabbing a chicken by the neck, but they actually can open very simple locks and latches and stuff like that. So making sure that you have either like a good padlock or something, or I know like my nesting boxes, when you open up the hinge, it is heavy. There there is no way like a raccoon is going to open that. But if you have a flimsy one, they can learn how to open that stuff and they will get in there. And if you have a water bucket, like Holly Ann does, they'll wash their hands. (laughs) (laughs) They make me insane. Our way to beat the raccoons are heavy-duty carbiners. You just clip a a carbiner on almost every latch, and it really Yeah, and that's all you need is something just like that, but you just have, it's just something to be aware of. We also have problems with domestic dogs. Neighbors may not be aware that your chickens are out, and then they let their dogs out. Domestic cats also are another predator to the chicken. I would worry about domestic cats with chicks or pullets, and I would worry about them with bantams. Yeah. I don't think a cat, unless it's super desperate, is going to go after an adult chicken, fortunately. And the other big one here are, yeah. Well, we have such a huge variety of raptors around here. We have a lot of different hawk species. We have eagles. We have a lot of owls. I've heard of people losing chickens to owls. We do have coyote. I've not seen coyote take chickens in this area. It may have happened, but I've never seen or heard of it at this point. But there are definitely coyote attacks in other parts of the country. We've heard of bobcat attacks. A dear friend of ours had her chickens attacked by a bobcat. And there's also animals that are going to burrow under, like the weasel that can dig under and get in to a secure run that way. Also bear. The thing with bears... Bears tend to take the easiest course. I've never heard of a bear just grabbing a chicken and eating it, but I have heard of bears killing chickens because they broke into the chicken run, probably searching for a source of food. And the other thing we didn't mention yet are snakes. Snakes do like the eggs more than the chickens. Yeah, I would say there is a category of predators that more like for the eggs and the chicks. Rats are another one that I don't know if they would go after an adult chicken, but they definitely will go for chicks or the eggs. I didn't really ever think of them. And I don't know that we're entirely sure, but I had someone come in the other day that it was either a mouse or potentially a rat. They aren't killing the chickens, but they're actually chewing on the chicken's feet, they think, at night. And what happened was they had that initial injury and now the chickens are pecking each other's feet. So they kind of have this whole mess on their hands. So we ended up bandaging the feet and I think they'll do just fine. But that was something I hadn't thought about before that we ended up seeing. Yeah, that is one that I would not think of either. But it makes sense if they're just sitting there at night and these little mice or rats are coming up. Predators can be problems in different ways. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. 
This month, you can receive 25% off if you're a first-time buyer. I'm a long-time subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus all products ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubblies has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein. It's perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot be combined with any other discounts. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEELADIES25. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then, yeah. Let me just take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with the chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the June box, I absolutely love the embroidered rooster apron and the egg carton stickers. I love those chicken leg bands with charms and the egg cartons that go with those stickers. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your purchase and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box with at least a three-month subscription. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Let's go to Dr. Rebecca and talk about what kind of cases come into you from predator attacks. I would say the vast majority of predator attacks that I'm seeing are probably either fox, raccoon, or dog attacks. I do see a fair amount of like either neighbor dogs or like visiting dogs that will attack chickens and sometimes people's own dogs too. So that is a very important one. Usually what we're seeing are anywhere from puncture wounds to I did see a duck that was attacked by a fox that pretty much its whole head was almost hanging off. We actually were able to fix it, but it looks like a shark had taken a bite out of her neck. So I do see those pretty commonly and they can range from not that big of a deal to a huge wound. And I have also seen like hawks tend to come from like above. So I will see wounds like over the back that are just caused by the talons and stuff like that as they're trying to carry them off. I would say those are the main things that I see. Something that can actually look like a predator attack that I've seen a few times recently too. This isn't completely related to our topic today, but I also have seen big wounds actually from the spurs of roosters that aren't trimmed if they're mounting their hens. So I treat those the same way as I treat a predator wound, but that's something that could be happening and you might not actually have a predator, it might be your rooster. But I would say the main ones we see here are the foxes, raccoons, and dogs trying to bite around the neck usually you're able to help them survive. That's really important for us to stress. If you do have a predator attack on your chickens, going to the veterinarian first thing can be your best friend because pretty immediately they're going to need to be cleaned, debrided, and medications to help not getting an infection in the wound. And that's your first round of defense right there. Yeah, I would say I have seen some pretty nasty wounds come in. And honestly, as long as I'm getting that chicken in within like 48 hours before bacteria from the saliva of these predators really cause like sepsis and stuff and really cause the chicken to feel sick, I would say our treatment and survival rate is nearly 100% if we're able to treat them. And like I said, I've seen some really bad wounds, but chickens are tough and they're really good healers if you give them a chance. So I love that. 
I think some people are very quick to try to write it off, but most of the time, these guys just, they need antibiotics to help fight infection. And then really, they need pain medicine. They're really sore after these attacks. And those types of medications, you can't get over the counter. So you need the help of your veterinarian. And we need the help of you with your expertise of debridement. Sometimes some of that tissue that's dead or in fact, it needs to be taken and cut off. So we definitely need your help. And I've actually had this happen to me. I had a chicken named Pearl who was an Americana who was getting bullied. And so she was out and I had a separate small cage that was 10 by five feet that I had put next to my big run. And I did not take for account that five feet across wasn't enough room for a chicken to get away from a fox reaching in. Oh, Um, wow. So what happened was I put her and her sister in there and I would check them every day. I was unaware of what was going on. And Joe started screaming as I ran out there. The fox had taken the one, the sister, and pulled her to the side and killed her that way. The other one, Pearl, who was being bullied, actually made it and she was mauled. But within an hour to the veterinarian to clean up the wound, to get all the proper medication. And she healed very nicely from that attack. So that was on my part, having a little sub cage that I thought five feet by 10 feet, it was big enough for a chicken to go from one side to the other to get away. And it wasn't, it was a hard lesson learned on my part, but definitely one I learned. These animals are going to go after them. They want to eat. Yeah. And once they find them too, they're more likely to come back. And it really, it can happen to anyone. I mean, we'll talk about later. I think prevention and building a fortress is the most important part, but sometimes things still happen and getting them that care within, I think the first 48 hours is critical because I have seen ones a week later come in. And by that point, sepsis has set in they are suffering from infection. And by that point, they might be too far gone for us to really bring them back. So but I really feel if we see them in a reasonable amount of time, we can fix these guys and get them back in the flock pretty quickly. So yeah, like I said, I feel like our survival rate is very close to 100%. And I would say the antibiotics that people are able to buy from feed stores and stuff, I don't know, are going to cover the nastiness of the bacteria that we see in predators mouths that are causing these infections. And I would say too, I've heard of people, they have a predator attack and they clean the wound and the chicken might do fine. But I guess for me, it depends on how you view your chicken. Some people see them more as just livestock and they don't, I hate to say they don't care how the outcome turns out, but some people get very lucky. I would always rather make sure that my chicken has the proper antibiotics and the best chance at improving from and one that pain class. medicine. That yeah. pain medicine that's, is vital. That's what I wanted to touch on. As recently as yesterday, I was in an online chicken forum and read where someone wrote that chickens don't feel pain and don't need pain medicine. And this is 100% false. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really important thing to touch on, I think, because I see it too. I see it all the time. People think that if you just like put a towel over their head and you take them to your kitchen table and like clean out the wounds, you find that they just, they lay there and they don't act like they're feeling anything at all. And I would say, yes, they do act like that, but it's because they're prey animals. So that's instinctively what they do. They act like nothing's wrong with them. They almost freeze. And even though they are most certainly feeling pain and fear and distress, they're different than cats and dogs in that they don't throw a fit about it. They actually will just kind of be paralyzed and Mm -hmm. not act like anything's happening. And then out and about, if they're out in the flock or something, 
chickens pick on other chickens that they know that they're sick or injured. So that chicken is going to do its best to act like nothing is wrong. Exactly. Well, that's how this species has survived thousands and thousands of years. It's part of their DNA now. That's the way they react to pain. It doesn't mean they don't feel it. My other question for you is, how many of these animals are you able to stitch up when they come in with these gaping wounds? I would say the vast majority, shockingly, usually I anesthetize pretty much all my patients for it because one, it just, it makes them relax. They don't feel what I'm doing, but it allows me to also really just get good closure of these wounds. Mm-hmm. Again, most of the time, unless it's right over the back where there's not a ton of skin, I can usually close these pretty well. And even if I can't close them all the way, we can always revisit it. And as long as you close a little bit, and even if you're just treating it with a topical ointment, that's called healing by second intention. We can still get most of these to eventually heal. Little puncture wounds and stuff, I won't usually stitch. And sometimes I try to almost lightly stitch some of these because you don't want to completely trap bacteria in these wounds, Mm. but we do a really thorough cleaning and everything of it when we see them. But most of these, we are able to close even the ones that when I first started, I would look at some of these and thought there was no way, but their skin in most places is very elastic. So we're able to get good closure on a lot of these wounds. Pearl couldn't get her wound closed the skin regenerates pretty quickly with the chickens. So if you're supporting a nice clean area to let those skin cells regenerate and multiply, given the proper stuff to clean every day, being told the instructions how to clean, what to put on, oral antibiotics and pain medication is so important. And these are things that you can't get anywhere but your veterinarian. So it is really, really important if this happens to one of your flock members to take them to the doctors. And I and- tell people to like, don't put pressure on yourself to suddenly become an expert in wound care. If this happens, I would say in general, sometimes these happen on a weekend and I do think it's important to kind of know what you should do. And so what I usually do is I will usually clean the wounds. I dilute betadine as my favorite thing to clean with. I'll usually add some water to some betadine to a weak tea color and kind of flush out the wound as best I can with that. What about Viteracin for wound cleaning? That's popular among a lot of chicken nerds because they usually have it. That is fine to use. I would not say that it is a cure-all. I don't think that's the only thing that you should use, but you can use that again in a pinch until you're waiting to get into a veterinarian. The biggest thing is just keeping them clean and also keeping the area, I would say, somewhat moist because I have seen chickens come in and after a few days, it almost looks like, for lack of a better description, it looks like fried chicken. By the time they come in, the skin is just, it's so dried out. And we usually have to end up cutting that because it's not doing anything for the wound healing. So healthy tissue, typically you want it to remain moist so that it can continue healing. And it should be like a nice pink or red color. Something else you can use. I mean, even just triple antibiotic, if you can just keep that on the wound until you can get into a vet, it'll help keep that tissue somewhat wet. So it's not drying out. My favorite topical cream is the silver sulfadine cream, but I'm pretty sure that's prescription in most states. But if you ever have it for a patient, try to keep any that you have left over on hand because that stuff is awesome. I've also heard honey actually has a lot of healing properties. So it does make the feathers very sticky. So I would use it conservatively, but you can also put that on a wound to keep it somewhat healthy until you're able to see someone to take care of it professionally. 
So if this happens to somebody's flock on a Saturday afternoon, you're saying clean with a dilute betadine solution and use a triple antibiotic ointment until Monday when they can get in. Because some emergency veterinary hospitals are not seeing chickens yet at this point. Yeah. So if they call around and can't get into an emergency hospital, keep it moist, keep it clean. Betadine is the best, dilute. If you're in a bind, soap and water is fine too. Or hydrogen um, peroxide. I don't love hydrogen peroxide all the time just because it can actually damage tissue when you put it on. It is really good for cleaning up blood. But yeah. I would say betadine or soap and water is probably nicer to the chicken just because it doesn't burn. Yeah. And then I would say after you clean it, put something on it, like an ointment or a cream or something that's going to keep the tissue wet and moist until someone can see it. So it doesn't dry out and you can put gauze like on top of it to keep it protected. It'll stick to it. Okay. You can get a weaker version of the silver ointment over the counter. Oh, okay. That's great. The one we usually, there are a couple different brands, but the one we usually use is Curad and it's called wound care. It's not called silver ointment. It used to be called silver ointment. They had to change the name for some reason, but essentially it's just a weaker version of the prescription silver ointment. And it works very, very well for both topical stuff and packing, say, a bumblefoot. Okay, no, that's great. Multi-purpose for sure. Yeah, yeah. We have it on the list for our first aid kit and we do have it on our Amazon storefront so that it's easy to find. We try to list all of our first aid kit things right there so that when we talk about them, they're all in one place and you can go and pick them up right through Amazon. The silver ointment is really good. And that's one we both always have. I will say any ointment, if you do have any questions or like if you're just looking for what you have on hand, the main thing I would always avoid is birds and steroids don't mix well at all. So avoid at any cost, like hydrocortisone cream or anything that ends in that O-N-E is usually going to be some type of steroid. So avoid anything with a topical steroid in it because it can make their immune system tank. And that's the last thing you want when you have a predator attack. We also heard that the triple antibiotic ointment that has the painkiller in it is also not good for the poultry. Do you know what the pain medicine is in it? I don't know what the actual ingredient is. I use like lidocaine and stuff. If I have a very minor wound and I don't want to necessarily put that bird under, I have numbed it with lidocaine and that has worked fine for me. So if it's one of those, I think it's appropriate. It's usually the steroids I try to avoid. Okay. This is all excellent information because sometimes a predator attack is going to happen first thing in the morning, end of the night, over a weekend, and you're not going to be able to get to the veterinarian within the first few hours. So doing wound care to get you to the point where we can get to you, that's the number one thing. Yeah. And then just keeping them quiet and in a comfortable spot until you can have them seen just to let they're going to want to rest. And even if they're not acting like they're in pain, like we've said, most of these guys are very sore and just allowing them to rest and not have to be with the rest of the flock at that point, I think is the best thing that you can do. Exactly. Especially when it's getting warmer like this. Have you ever seen a case of fly strike with a wound? I was just actually about to bring that up. Okay. <laughs> so we're on the same page here. Yes, I have seen fly strike and it is nasty. I would say I have a pretty good stomach about most things, but maggots are not one of them. So definitely if you have an open wound of any kind, this is not just predator attacks. If you ever see a wound on your chicken 
and it's summertime, I would say you either need to be checking that every day or separating that chicken, covering it, doing something to prevent fly strike, because trust me, they will find it. And cleaning maggots out of an open wound is not fun. I remember my 15 years in veterinary medicine, and that was one of my least favorite things that would come in. And it would usually be very large dogs that were very densely, like lots of hair in the back around the rump. And yeah, uh, we would draw straws <laughs> to have to be the one to have to help with to do that. So I remember that's not what you want. I guess some people think, and I know in some capacity, maggots might be used to like eat dead flesh or like unhealthy flesh. But I have never, at least in my experience, seen a chicken coming in with fly strike where I felt like the maggots were doing a good job to help yeah. chicken heal. So I don't think I would try to uh, avoid fly strike at any cost. I mean, if, if it happens, it happens. I mean, sometimes we don't know if there is a wound on a chicken and we can clean it out, but it does make it a lot more difficult to treat that wound. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about some things that we can do keeping our flock as safe as possible. So prevention. Yeah. And that's key. I mean, I would say that's the most important part of this topic is preventing it. If you can prevent it, then hopefully you'll never have to deal with this. Building a strong structure, a run, we've talked about this many times, is going to be your first level of defense using heavy duty wiring that's going to stop somebody from trying to chew through. We say this a million times, please do not make runs from chicken wire. It keeps chickens in. It doesn't keep anything out though. Exactly. And that's why it's called chicken wire because it keeps them in, but it doesn't keep everything else out. So a hard wire where something has to really work to get in and then maybe hopefully, you know, you would see it and be able to patch it. But also fanning out the bottom and burying, this is what I do for my runs. We take our fencing and take it out three feet and then bury it. That way, when something comes up to where the chickens are, they can't dig and go under. They'd have to come back three feet and go in at that point. So it's something that helps. Holly Ann does cinder blocks, which helps her runs because nothing's moving a cinder block. We do them on both sides for a couple of reasons. One, I don't think Pete or I are really capable of digging around here with the roots and rock we have. It would take us the better part of a year to dig a three-foot trench around the bottoms of our... We have the same kind of soil where I live, too. It's very hard to dig through. It's terrible to dig it. And so what we've done is we put up our runs, and we are so predator-saturated here. We do free-range, supervised, but the run is their primary living space. So we've built very large runs. The bottom of the run on either side, there's a cinder block or a log. On the inside and the outside, there's one or the other on every single one of my runs. The hawk was a spot where something had been trying to dig under and we didn't realize it was at the back of the run. That is closed now. He passed it with wire and then we double cinder blocked that. Maybe a bear could move those cinder blocks, but I, I don't think, That's I what I was saying. think most domestic dogs could move them. What we do, because we have the same rock, we all have that same horrible soil, we fan out and then we build up. So we don't dig down, but we build the land up over. So you put the wire, okay, you put the wire just down on the ground and put stuff on top of it. We bring in a boatload of dirt and build up a foot or two above Mm -hmm. or more all the way around the perimeter. And that in itself is a lot of work. I have the same kind of thing. I have a very tall garden fencing for the majority of it. Like it's like six feet tall 
which I think is kind of the recommendation in general. If you're not covering the top, I have a very, very large area for my chickens. I'll be honest. I think it's impossible for us to put complete coverage over the top. So I do not have that, but the fence is really tall. So chickens can't fly out of it, but also it makes it very hard for anything to get in. But yeah, I have the hardware cloth around the bottom of it. I actually don't have mine buried. I actually just have it on the ground and staked and it's worked fine for me. So I don't know if you necessarily have to dig it under or put soil on top of it, but just at least having that apron is super important. It is. And I don't know. I mean, you would have to check where you live, but I've been doing a little bit of work with like animal control and stuff recently. And some places actually have laws that you have to have that, which I was surprised. So one of the counties in Maryland, they are updating their housing codes for poultry to try to make sure that these animals are being put in housing situations that are appropriate, especially for predator control. And actually one of the things they had listed in their ordinance was that you have to have some kind of protection against digging. So I thought that was really interesting that they actually have a law about it. That's very interesting. I hope that people in general will listen and heed the warnings because it's better to learn via being educated than to learn via the experience of having it happen to you. Absolutely. I never even thought about just laying the wire down, but I like that idea. I was not going to dig that under. Oh my God. I'll probably do that on my next run, but I'm still going to put my cinder blocks and logs on both sides. I I do the logs also. The inside is logs. I try to keep the chickens away from the perimeter of the run so they're not trying to stick their heads through. One of my runs does have hardware cloth all the way around for three feet up. The fencing is at least seven feet high. So if you have a four foot fence, a fox can get over this. Animals can climb if you don't have a roof. So just knowing that your fencing needs to be pretty high. The hardware cloth on the bottom too, if you do at least three feet up, I feel like not only can predators not reach in like raccoons to grab through the bars because hardware cloth, you can get in very, very tiny little squares so they can't reach in, but they should theoretically not be able to climb it either because it's hard for them to get a grip on those tiny little squares. And it's keeping the chickens in even more because let's face it, they like to put their heads out. We can tell them a million times, please keep your head in, but it's not going to help. They want to put their heads out. My first run has that all the way around and the second run is in the process. It will have it. It's definitely challenging, but it's necessary because we want to prevent. I feel like you need sort of that three-pronged approach. Your coop needs to be secure enough that nothing can get in there at night. Your run needs to be secure enough that nothing can get to the coop anyway. And then when you're free ranging, you need to be supervising and keeping an eye on what's going on around them. It's a lot of work up front, but honestly, once you install it, you shouldn't really need to do anything after that. Exactly. It's a lot of work up front, but you'll be able to sleep better. Even if you know they're protected, it's also important for them to feel safe. So having places that they can hide is important if they see something. Absolutely. If you can't have a covered area, like I said, like I have a humongous space, it would just be impossible to do providing cover. I have heard that sometimes like rotating like an owl statue or something might help to deter predators, but you have to be rotating it. I also tried some like reflective tape that I strung up along like the fencing and the trees haven't had any issues. So there are other methods, but always a covered area is going to be the best if you can do that. The other thing that I use before I had the roof is 
fishing line and you can make yes, your you can own do that top out of fishing line, essentially. And everybody is like, you're this crazy lady with fishing line. Like, because I was going from this angle to this angle to this angle. And it did work for me for a while. It did become breached after a while, but we now have the roof on both. It does work to deter. It's used in a lot of different commercial situations to deter raptors from coming down on an area. So you have wire on the top of your runs. Your runs were built with wooden framing and wire on the top, and it's gorgeous. I have a lot of runs, and they're a lot more utilitarian. And so over the years, we've messed around with a few different things. Both places where I've owned my chickens have had a lot of cover and a lot of trees. The reason we had to go to a more solid type of roof is because we had raccoons that would climb up and over. It doesn't matter if we double wrap the wire. It didn't matter what we had up there. They would go over the top and in. And so one of the things we started to use that worked was bird netting. But the bird netting is a gigantic pain in the neck. It sticks to everything when you're trying to put it up. It's a nightmare. So when we started building all of our runs here on our new place, we went to deer netting, which is a much heavier grade of plastic. The raccoons cannot rip and tear it. It's heavy, but Pete built these like circus tent poles that go in the middle of each of my runs that hold the top up. We'll stick that on our Amazon storefront. The bird netting makes you want to tear your hair out. We started with the bird netting and that's why we did the wiring on the top because I was like, I can't deal with this bird netting. I'm done. Just give me the wiring. So let's move on to one of our final things that we wanted to talk about. If you have a predator that you're aware of and say this predator hasn't yet attacked your chickens, but you want to do something, what can you do to get the predator out of your yard or your situation? There are people that we can call that come and trap them and humanely relocate them because that is our main goal, right? I don't know about other states, but I know in Maryland, you can't legally trap wildlife and then release them elsewhere. You have to be a licensed wildlife rehabber to do that. So you probably want to do a Google search and find somebody in your area who offers this service and talk to them about it. I have some farmer friends who will just shoot any predator that gets near. But here's the reality about that. There's always more. There are always more raccoons. There are always more foxes. And the science even says that the more you hunt coyote, the more frequently the females come in heat and the bigger their litters are. So here you have a species that is evolving to create more of itself when it's under hunting pressure. So in the mid-Atlantic, I don't really know that hunting is a good solution. I mean, if you have one animal that's coming back night after night after night, it arguably makes a difference there. But in the big scheme, it doesn't. I agree. And we have animals because we love animals. And yeah, was I mad that the fox at time killed my chicken and injured another? Yes. But you have to take a little bit of the emotion out of it at that point and say this animal is trying to survive in its own way. And we do want to share the earth with these animals. So by making a big enough, bad enough fortress for our chickens, (laughs) keeping them as safe as possible, that way we can... And by contacting the correct person to come and relocate this animal to a different place can sometimes help. Now, there's different guidelines. There's different animals that if you take a mile away, they're coming back. So these relocators know where they need to go to get them so that they're not going to be coming back to your house. So it's a humane way to take care of a predator so that they can live out their life someplace else. Yeah. I don't mean to sound harsh either, but it's not the animal's fault if you have not built a proper shelter for your chickens to prevent them from getting in. 
I don't think they should have to pay that with their life for just trying to like feed themselves and their young. Additionally, too, I mean, I know, and especially a lot of rural areas, and if you have a nuisance animal, I guess that's another thing. But maybe in some rural areas, people were more trained. But if you do not know what you're doing with a gun to dispose of an animal, you shouldn't be doing it anyway. I think that that is irresponsible. Unless you're very versed in hunting, you can cause a lot of unneeded suffering to an animal. I mean, just because you shoot one doesn't mean it's going to kill it. It could injure it and then it's going to run off and die a slow, painful death. So if you're not trained in proper, I would say, shooting skills and hunting skills of where you're supposed to humanely shoot an animal for a humane death, for lack of a better word, I don't think you have any right to be doing that. 100% agree. It is futile in most cases anyway. We have a fox that keeps coming back and coming back. And I actually started giving the fox four milk bones every night because I'm like, okay, the fox keeps coming every night. I want it to not look at my chickens as the source. I want it to come for the milk bones. I'm like the lady known at the tractor supply as the lady who feeds the fox. So I put out four big milk bones every night and the fox comes, takes them and goes. It doesn't look at my chickens as the food source. It looks at something else. And there's other ways that we can humanely try to coexist with these animals. And I think the big thing is a fortress. That's smart. I didn't think of like providing them with another food source that they'll just take instead. That's smart. Speaking as a lifelong farmer, a lot of those animals I want around. I like the foxes being around. I mean, a fox needs to feed her baby. And we just talked about the one that we have under the sheep ship. She's feeding her baby. We just don't want her to feed them with our chickens. But we want the foxes around. On the rare occasion when we have had a rodent outbreak, we've had foxes and or black snakes come in and clean out the entire barn. Rodents gone. That's a good thing. I would say if you end up getting rid of all of your predators in the area, you're going to end up probably with a mouse problem. Yeah. yeah. Or a squirrel problem. We had like these three squirrels and my husband called them the ninjas because they would wait until we had put out like some evening scratch for the chickens and they would come in and fight the chickens for it. Oh my God. They literally would jump on my chickens. One of my roosters, they bloodied his waddle. And then my oldest rooster, they jumped on his back. These squirrels were on my list. And then I didn't see them for a few days. And then I found the remains of them back there behind where Mama Fox had her babies. She took care of my ninja squirrels. There you go. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So the world works that way. We all can coexist together and we all help each other out. I just keep saying, build the best enclosure that you can. And I believe in supervised free range. You're going to have predator attacks if you do unsupervised free range. And as long as you know this, that is your decision. Being out there with them when they're out is a way to stop it. And having a nice big run that's secure where they can play and have fun when you can't be out there is a good middle ground. Yeah. And I would say it's something we didn't touch on, but like other potential solutions. I know some people around this area will get like a livestock guardian dog. I know that that is something you can consider. That being said, you need to train that dog from the beginning. A lot of dogs still have a very high prey drive and they might still see those chickens as prey. So that's still kind of risky, I think, for some breeds of dogs, unless you can adequately train them, then they can be a great resource. And of course, if you're allowed to have them, great reason to have a rooster. 
That's their responsibility is to alert the flock if there is danger and be the martyr if they have to go out and fight something. Of course, you still don't want to lose a rooster like that. But if you are able to have a rooster, that is a good reason to have one if you want them to kind of keep an eye out for everyone. And I heard if you can have a donkey, they will also protect. Yeah. And that's, I think there's other like livestock guardians. If you can have other types of farm animals and they can coexist with the chickens, they will be a deterrent to predators. I've heard emus, but I don't know if that's true or not. It'll be awesome. I've heard that too. I've also, I mean, they're very noisy, but I think guinea fowl also will sound alarms very loudly and are very much on the lookout. So, Joe, we need a donkey. Come on. (laughs) This is my 20th year with llamas and alpacas. Nothing beats a good guard llama. All of our neighbors love our chickens. They come multiple times to visit and feed them. I'm like, I could add a llama, a donkey. You imagine that a llama. I could charge admission at that point. I could be making money back there. I feel like you have the land for it. You just need a fence. <laughs> yeah. It's my guard sure. donkey. I'm not sure what the neighbors would do, but I think they would love it personally. I do too. Okay. So thank you to Dr. Rebecca for taking this time out to talk to us about predators and teaching us stuff we don't even know. We love talking with you all the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I always learn stuff from you guys too. So it's a group effort. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.